the ups and downs, the hurdles we face in life, you know, I think it's just how you kind of react to them, remember them, live through them, and hopefully be better tomorrow than you were today. everyone. Emily Abadi here. You are listening to a special week of content here on Hurdle called Running Through. With Global Running Day on Wednesday, June 1st, it's only fitting that we wrap up season nine and celebrate all week by bringing five back-to-back episodes to the feed. You guys you know the deal. Here on the show, I am dedicated to bringing hurdlers content that encompasses all that is wellness. Still, running holds a really special place in my heart. While I originally leaned into running as a weight loss tool back in college, it has turned into a passion of mine, helping me personally get through a ton of difficult hurdle moments and 10 marathons later become a happier, healthier version of myself. This week, I am talking with other inspiring women who have also turned to running during some of life's biggest, darkest hurdles. We get vulnerable talking about tough topics like loss and grief, depression and postpartum depression, and how running and sport has helped them persevere, rediscover their self-worth, and move forward with their head held high. For today's episode, I am so, so excited to have the opportunity to bring you my conversation with Carrie Tolufson. Aside from being the sweetest, most kind-hearted human, Carrie is also an Olympian and host of the Sea Tolly Run podcast. Carrie and I talk in today's episode about how she has used running in her life to run through insecurity. That's her buzzword. And that insecurity, it's followed her from her days as a pro to getting back into the swing of things after having children and even these days as a recreational runner. I'll bite a speedy one at that. Spending a lot of her time, her weekends, traveling to do different on-camera race announcing and hosting, Carrie gets open and honest about the criticisms that come hand in hand with that and the feelings that she navigates putting herself out there on the regular. She also talks about the concern and love that she has for the sport of running and where it is headed as this year marks the 50th anniversary of Title IX's passing. Carrie is all about lifting up and supporting other women, empowering runners of all shapes and sizes. And again, I'm so, so happy that we were able to carve out some space to have this super special conversation for the show. I have to give a huge, huge thanks to my sponsor for this week of content, and that sponsor is Tracksmith. Tracksmith, as you may know, is a brand for runners inspired by a deep love for the sport. They craft incredible gear for training, racing, and rest days, and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Their summer collection features pieces designed for running in the heat, as well as staples for your vacation adventures. From their silky smooth twilight styles that seem to disappear 
while you're running to comfortable short tights that can carry all of your long run fuel. These are staples that will work as hard as you do. Explore their collections and stories at tracksmith.com and use the code hurdle 22 for free shipping. Now this is really special to me. Tracksmith is working with me to support an organization that I feel passionately about, especially after the awful massacre last week in Ovalde, Texas at Rob Elementary. And that organization is every town. For every order that is purchased on tracksmith.com using the code HURDLE22, Tracksmith will donate 5% of all sales to every town. Now, for those of you who don't know, every town is an organization that advocates for gun control and against gun violence. So grateful to Tracksmith for partnering with me on this. And again, that code for anyone to do some good and get free shipping over on tracksmith.com is hurdle22. Make sure you're following along with hurdle over on the socials. It's at hurdle podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Carrie Tollefson. She is the host of See Totally Run. She's also an Olympian. Just fantastic. How are you doing today, Care? I'm doing well. I'm excited to chat with you. I've been like seeing you here and there and everywhere around the world, not just like, you know, in New York City, but like in Germany and all over the place. That's so cool. <laughs> I know. We literally are just like ships passing when we see each other and mm -hmm. we're like, oh, we're going to catch up. We're going to catch up. And now we're finally sitting down to catch up. And I'm so excited. It's for this special week on the show. I'm calling it running through, talking to different women about how they have used running to get through some of their life's hurdle moment. I mentioned in your awesome intro, Olympian, we're not just, although these days, you know, a little bit more of a recreational runner, but you have quite the history with the sport. So talk to us, start us off. Talk to me about how you got started with running, Carrie. Well, I grew up in a really small town. And so we kind of did everything, music, acting, sports, like we needed to, because when you have a town of 1600 people, you need everyone to do everything, right? Like there's always something that can be picked up, whether that's the lead in the play or the water girl on the bench, like I did it all. And, um, so did all my friends. And so it was really fun for me to do that. But I had two older sisters that were in cross country. Both of them didn't really know about it. They were like, it's a really fun atmosphere, but they didn't know if they really liked to run. And so I just went out for cross because I was able to be on a team with one of my big sisters. They were, so Stacy was already in college. Cammie was a senior when I was in seventh grade. All right. So definitely like a little bit of idolizing them and wanting to get involved. Totally. So my mom, and this is such a big year, right? We're celebrating title nine and 50 years of title nine and all these amazing stories that have come through sport now, just like remembering the pioneers. And my mom wasn't allowed to play sports. I, my mom and dad are high school sweethearts. Actually they're elementary sweethearts. It's the cutest love story ever. But my dad used to peek and they had these like, um, curtains to cover the gym or FIED classes when the girls went in and my dad would peek to try to see my mom play. But that's the only time you ever saw her play. So wow. when us girls were raised by my mom and dad, my dad was a college football player. My mom didn't get to do it. Us girls were like, 
let's do all of it because mom wants us to because she didn't get to. So mm. we're it's been a really neat year of celebrating and learning from all these women, but especially my own mom. So yeah, yeah, I was the third girl and I wanted to do all of the things the girls in my family could and couldn't do. Yeah, I love that. And for you, as you leaned more into cross country and running, when did it go from something you did because you idolized your sisters to something you really, really excelled at and knew that you wanted to take to another level? Well, actually, Emily, it was the first race, I think, that I was like, wait a second, what just (laughs) happened? Because my sister, Cammie, was a very good um, athlete. She's a really good basketball player and one of the best hurdlers in the state of Minnesota. And, um, I beat her in that first race and I ended up placing third. And I remember going home thinking, Oh no, what's going to happen. She's going to be so mad at me. And she said, don't you ever slow down for anyone? Like, don't let anyone dictate your outcome. And it was a really big life lesson. I mean, she was 17 years old. I was 12. So she understood life a little bit more than I did. And from then on, my sisters just never let me, you know, think that I couldn't do something. And yeah, as an eighth grader, I won state and I won every state championship until my very last race as a senior in high school, I dropped down to the 800 and I got beat right at the line. So it was a pretty fun experience, but also a very hard experience, Emily, where I had the target on my back for every single race, whether I was jumping into the 400 for team points or running the two mile or whatever. I had never, I didn't lose from eighth grade on. So it was, it was tough, but it was also super cool too. Target on your back, but also a lot of pressure, not just, I'm sure externally, maybe from the praise and excitement of your teammates and coaches, but also internally, how did you go about navigating that pressure as a girl in her teenage years, which please, we, I don't, you don't need me to tell you being a teenage girl is hard enough as it is. Exactly. And having buck teeth way out to, they were past my toes. I couldn't even see my toes to be honest. (laughs) I mean, I was the ugly duckling for so many years and you know, I had really good runners in the state. Kara Goucher was here. I mean, we had name after name that were, you know, doing well at Foot Locker or now East Bay. Like we had a lot of competition here and I saw it all. Um, but I think that was a really nice thing to have. Like Kara and I had so many moments and we would talk about, you know, being that person that has a target on our back and, um, you know, just going to different camps with her or whatever. But yeah, I loved every minute of it. Um, having the pressure was a tough thing. We had to figure that out and we had to keep it fun. And I guess I took that lesson through college and as a pro as well. Yeah. So you get to college and you continue on your road to stellar performances. Talk me through when that college running really instills in you that you're going to continue with it once you're done. Well, I got my butt kicked for the first year for sure. And Jen Rines was actually my teammate. So she was this multiple NCAA champion. And I just knew that I needed to just keep my you know head down and keep working, keep following along with all the great athletes that were Villanova with me. But it was a really hard transition. It was yeah. hard to go from winning and winning and winning to then getting you know beat day after day in practice and in races and I was so far away from home because Villanova is like a 26 hour drive or something crazy like that from where I grew up. And I think that whole journey was really tough on me. Um, 
I missed home like you wouldn't believe. And a lot of people are like, why would you move back to Minnesota to train? Well, I miss my family. So it's, you know, the winners are tough here, but my family's more important. Um, so I think I just had to slowly but surely find me again. And by my, I'd say by my sophomore year, I knew that I could get back to those winning ways. And I knew I wanted to win. Um, and it's not all about the win, right? But I knew that in my heart, I was ready to really put it out there and not to be thinking so much in races and just go for it and let those competitive juices and that God-given talent that I had go for it, right? So I think it took me a little bit of time, but once I got there, it was like, okay, I'm proud of what's on my chest. I'm proud of who I am and let's go, let's do it. Yeah. And that work ethic, that determination is really impressive and super respectable because you going through so many of those, I'm just getting beaten and beaten and beaten. What advice would you offer for someone who can totally relate to that feeling, who feels like they're giving it their all and just coming up short time after time? I mean, let's face it. That's the majority of sports, right? I got lucky in high school. I really think that, I mean, I, I was good, but I, I got lucky that I didn't get beat. There were plenty of times I could have been beat. So I had to learn a little later in life, really what it was like to get beat. Like most people, there's only one winner in every race. And it's very rare. Do you find someone that wins that many times? So for me, I had to figure it out and I had to like really dig into, I think the mental side of the sport a little bit more so than I ever had. I had to figure out how to visualize and work through races, work through training. And just like I said, have fun with it. It's just running. And so many times we hear that now it's just running. And, but I do think we do put pressure on ourselves to win and to perform and beat times. And, um, I don't miss that, Emily. I don't miss that pressure, but I yeah. also am really happy. I had it because I know I can handle tough things now. Yeah. And it's funny because I reflect on our conversation before we sat down here today and I was asking you what you thought like your buzzword would be when it comes to running through and running through these hurdle moments. And you said running through insecurity. Now I'm sure that word comes into the mix more as you become a professional athlete as well, but you're running through insecurity at a young age to begin with. Well, let's just face it. I already talked about my buck teeth. <laughs> so like, yeah, that seems silly now. But back in the late 80s, early 90s, when you had ratted bangs and big teeth and I was skinny, 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 um, you know, a lot of people think skinny girls, that's they're lucky, right? Well, when you're skinny, skinny, it's not always fun. You know, I had big, big, uh, not only buck teeth, but big feet. And I had all these things. And so those are my early insecurities. I got over that eventually and braces helped a ton. Um, <laughs> and I was thankful I could get those. Uh, but then when I went to college, I think the insecurity of everyone knew I was homesick. Everyone did. Cause I just, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I couldn't deny it. It was a long ways away from home. It was a culture shock for me. I grew up in a small rural Minnesota town where everyone looks like me and I needed to, and you know, by all means, I was very welcoming of all types of people, but I needed to learn a lot of things. Um, I needed to find me because I didn't have every mom and dad of my friends, you know, rooting me on, lifting me up. I needed to figure out how to do it on my own. And then, you know, be, to be honest, that insecurity still lives 
big time in me. You know, I'm very confident. I know I can do hard things. I know I can go out and set goals and, and chase them and hopefully achieve them. But there's times where this performance thing that I've been living my whole life with makes me insecure. You know, there's so many people that do things better or you think they do them better. So the run has definitely helped me through that every yeah. day that I go out for a run or if I have a day off, but I know why I take a day off. I feel like the run just brings life into me and it doesn't mean winning races all the time. It, it means just getting out there and feeling alive. So, yeah. I've got a pulse check with you. What size feet do you have these days, Carrie? Nine and a half. My feet are bigger than yours. I thought I remember this now. I don't know <laughs> this why. Is a fun fact about Emily body. I run in a woman's 10 and a half shoe. I'm a street 10, yep. a 10 and a half running sneaker. That's so, I mean, I feel and like I tell you, that. no one in my family has big feet either. So they're the anomaly. <laughs> hey, you lot, I mean, when we look at you, we know there's big shoes to fill. <laughs> oh man, you've never <laughs> used that line before, man. But I mean, to go back to your point of insecurity, it is certainly something that I can relate to. Certainly something that a lot of people listening to this right now can relate to. As you came into your own as a professional, how did you combat that sporadic at times negative voice in your head and start to learn how to be truly your own biggest hype woman. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the big thing. And I think that's why I could succeed because I could train my brain. I visualized I I'm a Christian, so I had prayer, but I also surrounded myself with like-minded goal-driven people and they didn't have to be runners. You know, they just had to want to be something. They had to want to use that talent that they were given. And I think that really has helped me. I've always tried to be around positive people and be able to chat about things. You know, that's one of the reasons why I love going for runs. And it doesn't have to be outside. It could be next to you on a treadmill. And we're both running our same pace or our own pace, not the same pace, our own pace. And I think just being able to have that conversation about, what's going wrong? What's going well? Like, what can we do with our lives? What do we want to do with our lives? And that I think has been one of my best talents in life is just being able to have the gift of gab and, uh, you know, really kind of learn from other people and, and learn from myself. And that's a beautiful thing about running and just working out in fitness in general. They call it that sweat working, that sweat equity, that barrier that comes down the second that you get active with someone enabling you to be a little bit more vulnerable than maybe you felt comfortable being before that perspiration really started. You went to the Olympics. I would be remiss if we didn't give that a little bit of breath right here. So talk to me about building up for that experience in your career. Yeah. I mean, I went to Villanova hoping to become an Olympian. I didn't know I'd be a professional athlete so much because it was still pretty new. I mean, when you look back, there were professional runners, but it wasn't as mainstream as it is now. So when I went there, I just wanted to kind of follow in the, the footsteps of the alumni at Villanova. And there were a lot of Olympic athletes that came out of that school. So I, I think once I won my very first NCAA championship, which was my junior year in cross country, that's when it really was like, okay, you, you might be able to do this. You might be able to not only have Villanova on your chest, but maybe one day have the USA on your chest, which is a big thing to really think about. I had had the opportunity 
in some other race, like went to the Pan American games as a junior. And so I had that, you know, I, I kind of dipped my toe in that area, but it wasn't until I was the best in the NCAA where I really thought, oh, maybe I could be one of the best in the U.S. when I'm older. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that was in 1997. And then it took me a couple couple times to go to, you know, USA's to figure it out. But then in 2004, I did it. And what an amazing experience. And it's something that kind of fuels me every single day because I talk about it every day. Somebody brings up the Olympics or I'm doing a podcast or, you know, it's why I get a lot of my jobs. So I'm very thankful that it came together because it doesn't always come together for superstar athletes. So I was a lucky one that day. I want to go back to what you just said about how you had to give it a go a few times before it clicked. Talk to me about the emotions that came hand in hand with the goes that didn't go as you had hoped. Oh, they're so heartbreaking, you know, and I think that's what keeps us out there. Like if you, if everything went well, it'd get a little boring. So, you know, even though it's hard to swallow when you don't run the way you want to, or you're just not there yet, I think that's even harder. If you have a bad race, it's one thing, but when you really sit down and know that you're just not there yet, that's what's really tough. And in my very first Olympic trials, I was lapped on national television. Regina Jacobs was winning the race and I had a whole other lap to go. Um, and that was kind of a big reality check. I thought everyone was cheering for me. I had no idea she was going. <laughs> and so, um, I had to go back home and kind of rethink things and figure out how to, to make the next four years worth it. And, um, you know, took a lot of time. I had some big injuries along the way. And once I made that team, it was just like a big breath of fresh air and big, you know, exhale because it wasn't just me that made it. It was our, my entire family, all the coaches and teammates that were along the way with me. You mentioned the buzzword injury, and you have had some very big ones. I mentioned my struggle with plantar fasciitis recently nice. to you. That was something that plagued you for some time. Oh, I hate it. Like, I just feel so bad that you're dealing with it. I think we deal with it maybe a little bit different now than when I was competing, but I had an 18 month, I had it for 18 months in one foot and 16 months in the other. How did you get through that? Well, I think the reason why I had it for so long was because I really busted my butt cross training with it. And I don't know if I should have, you know, I would come off the elliptical limping like I did if I were done running. So does that make sense? But in right. that time we thought, oh, it's no impact. It's, you know, can't really be screwing you up. Well, you know, now I look back and I think it was at my calf and, you know, all kinds of things were keeping it you know, very alive in my foot. And, um, it was tough mentally. I think that was one of my hardest challenges, but I had a really big injury in college where I had a tumor in my heel and they filled it with donor bone. And it was very much, um, a question of what I get back. Would I be the same runner? And I think once I went through that, I knew I could handle most things in life. And so even though it was super hard to have planner when I did, I knew I just needed to keep on that mental game. I needed to have the mental capacity to get through it, but also I needed to just ride the wave and be excited to come back when I could get back. And you also had a massive abdominal injury. Oh yeah. I forgot about that one. <laughs> How could you? 
that one was lovely. I did the splits over a snowdrift on the way to the indoor track in Minnesota. Actually, the January before I made my Olympic team in June. And um, I tore both adductors, which are your groin muscles. I tore the abs off my pubic bone. I didn't know I was that injured until I got home from the Olympics because there's no time to be injured the Olympic year, right? So we managed with all kinds of different treatments. And then once I got home from the Olympics, I could tell I was super injured. I had more than just the soft tissue injuries. I had two stress reactions on my pubic bone. I had osteitis pubis while I was running in the Olympics. So I was a, a big mess. But just again, I mean, we're talking a lot about the mind and for me to be able to sort of, you know, put that all aside and to mentally get through the pain that I was in. I think that's a pretty powerful thing for me to look back at. Wow. Just wow. The thought of running on those kinds of injuries alone, nevertheless, performing at the level that you were is just, uh, it's unfathomable. Now, again, going back to that word insecurity, that carried along with you well past your professional career. And even in more recent years, when you got really back into the swing of running after having your kids, talk to me a little bit about how that felt for you being this Olympian that is now a little bit older and trying to lace up and get back out there. Well, first of all, bite your tongue. (laughs) no I was just thinking that today I'm like I am 45 years old how am I 45 years old what a beautiful 45 year old you are oh my gosh I don't know I got a lot of wrinkles but we'll just we'll just be happy with those we'll call them smile (laughs) lines but anyway um yeah you know I didn't know for sure if I was going to be done competing when I was having my babies and even after Everett who now turns nine soon here. And so Ruby's 12, Everett's nine. And then our little guy Greer is six. I think that I needed to figure out who I was going to be after my sport was done or my, I guess my racing was done. And that was where the insecurity really came into play for me. It wasn't so much that I was going to be a mom. It wasn't so much that I did know if I was going to be that athlete. It was just like, where do I go? Like there were all these questions because I still didn't know I wasn't going to get back to the track. I didn't really get back to it, but my, my career went a different way with broadcasts and my podcasts and all these other fun things that I get to do still. But there's still that, like, who am I without this sport? And that's what I think I really struggled with during my pregnancies, because that's where you're like, you look different, right? You're you're getting way out of shape. It's just, you're going to be a mom. You got other kids to worry or you have other things to worry about. Not just, not just you. So um, I've struggled with insecurity a little bit, but also I think it's just the, in a, a question of what's next. That has always been my fear, my insecurity, not necessarily yeah. living in the moment. So yeah, I, the, getting away from racing wasn't so hard. It's just, where am I going to go with my career? That's been the hard part. 
And I'm sure women, regardless of whether they've transitioned into a phase of being a mother or perhaps they've gone through some sort of other career change or navigating like relationships as they ebb and flow, there are so many different ways that we as humans identify. So when you add a new title, a new identification to your roster, in your case, mother, it's totally natural for you to question like, well, what about all these other ways that I have identified in the moments and years leading up to right now. And especially identifying as a runner was such a huge part of your being. You even said it yourself. Like it is the thing that to this day still gets me opportunities, still enables you to do something that you love so much. So when you laced up again, talk me through how it felt to get back out there and know it was going to be different. It was really hard. It was really hard. I mean, I always tell this story. So I went out to Portland to run and to try to make the Olympic trials right after Ruby was born. So it was about a year actually um, after Ruby was born. And I was sleeping on the floor of a friend's house in a, on a blow up mattress. And I remember laying there thinking, I am sleeping on the floor on a blow-up mattress away from my child. Is this what I want to do? And that was the kind of eye-opener for me. My husband was home. My daughter was home. And you know what? Listen, we are seeing some amazing performances from moms. And we even did at that time. You know, this was 2011. Um, So we had already seen Paula Radcliffe. We had already seen, I mean, all kinds of athletes were having babies. Shane Culpepper is a big name that people should know that really was kind of one of the first Americans to have babies. And she ran great with her babies. But for me, that was this like, whoa, what am I doing? And I think that was the first time where my heart was telling me, maybe this running thing isn't what I need to do anymore. I didn't want to do second runs. You know, I didn't want to get to the gym. I wanted to be at home when Charlie got home from work and play with Ruby. And then, so I kind of, that was the first taste of it. And then I got going a little bit. It was probably, you know, two years after, right before I got pregnant with Everett, where I was like, hey, maybe I will give it a go again. And then I was still kind of cutting corners. And so I think that that was the big eye opener for me, where I just wasn't giving it my all anymore. And to be world-class at anything or to be very successful at anything, you have to be willing to sacrifice a lot of things. And I don't really love that word, but it's true. So the sacrifice wasn't more appealing to me than dealing with insecurity of not knowing where to go next. Two things to double click on. The first thing is this idea of finding joy in the journey as you go toward your goals. And it can be totally normal to set a goal and realize as you embark on the journey that gets you to this goal that it's not what you'd thought or that you'd hoped it would be. And it takes a big person to take a step back from that, right? So in your case, for you to say, listen, like this isn't what I'd hoped it would be and like accept that. That's cool. That's not to say that, you know, every person that goes out on a similar journey will have the same experience because as you said and articulated so well, there are so many stellar women that have stepped into motherhood while still excelling in sport to some sort of a way. But the second thing to double click on is that you did excel. It just wasn't on that stage, right? Because you did get back 
to running again. I did get back to running again. And then I started putting my focus into my broadcast work, which, you know, I sometimes forget that they're really there. Now we're getting more female voices out there. But when I started, there were really only a few of us, you know, Catherine Switzer was leading the charge, right? Um, Dina Castor was dabbling into it a little bit. Julie Benson was d dabbling a little, but I mean, I'm proud of that. When I look back, I'm proud of how many things I was able to do still being in this sport, still getting like my cup filled, just not running fast anymore. Right. So I did get back to running. I did go and run a, a marathon for the first time four months after having Everett. That was an amazing kind of resurgence for me in the sport of running. I did not get back to elite running, but it was still good running. But yeah, I just, my, my life was shifting and that's okay. It's still shifting. I just turned down a really big opportunity to coach at division one. And it was because I put my family first again. And I think that's okay. At the end of the day, it's okay. I still have super big insecurities. Like, oh my gosh, I could have had tuition paid for with three kids. I would have had a steady paycheck. I would have been able to influence these lovely young women but it wasn't the right time and my family had to come first. And it was sort of the same way back after having Ruby. It wasn't the right time for me to be racing. I had to put my family first and life just shifted. So I put my broadcast on the front burner and, you know, 10, 15 years later here, well, no, 20 years later, I'm still doing broadcasts. I'm still in the running world and I'm a mommy. I love also your definition of like not running super fast is <laughs> probably so different than a 99.9% .9 of people listening to this podcast. Yeah, I did. I was trying to say it, it wasn't elite level, right? Like, so I think of elite marathoners as like, you know, making the Olympic trials. I'm not making the Olympic trials, but I'm having fun doing it. That's amazing. That's amazing. So as you have reframe the narrative. And I think that's actually like a really good phrase for us to use here. Uh, recognizing that we each have that opportunity, right? Because there are so many different insecurities that someone could be ru using running to run through. Maybe it is navigating for me at times, I would be remiss if I didn't admit like body dysmorphia, having undergone a major weight loss in my life. Maybe you are running through insecurity of feeling as though you're not enough at your job or struggling through the way that you're navigating a personal relationship. There are so many different ways that we can reframe the narrative. So for you, as you've gotten older, what tools do you have in the toolbox aside from lacing up your sneakers to help you reframe the narrative as insecurity peeps in. Yeah. I mean, I have learned, and we talk about this a lot. So many athletes say they've learned these life lessons on the track or on the roads. And you really have, you know, the, the journey that gets us to the, the start line and to the finish line is a pretty powerful one. So I lean on that a lot. I mean, I go back to thinking about missing the 5,000 meter team in 2004 and then coming back and surprising everybody and winning that 1500 in 116 degree heat. I mean, it was amazing how tough we had to be that day. And for me to know I did it has fueled me for a lifetime. But there's been a lot of other things that have just kind of kept me going. And I think that 
for me, I just want to live this life that I'm proud of. And I think when I look back and say, what would I be proud of? is just knowing that I'm okay to get gritty. I want to get after it. You know, that's my saying. I want to keep being a rock star human being, which, you know, in my world is one that just is excited to tackle things that seem hard and not be afraid of failing. So, you know, when that red light goes on now with every camera that I'm in front of, I know I'm going to get maybe some backlash for things I say, but I hope I bring the kind out and I hope I relay the stories of athletes and make sure that I'm just showing the passion of life that I have. And so, you know, it's, I just, I just want to be able to live a life that I'm excited about and proud of. So I think people can do that as well. When you have insecurities in life, I think just looking at yourself in the mirror and just really digging deep to see what you want to do. And I need like you to ask me these questions because sometimes I forget. And you've been on a different journey and I'm one of the most amazing ones to follow. It's so fun to see the joy you find in life, but yet you share your hurdles, right? You share your ups and downs. And that's what I want to do as well. I appreciate you. I, you know, it, it's interesting to hear you talk about being in front of the camera and when that red light goes on, because that's kind of where I wanted to head next. Granted, you have now years of experience in this industry, but it is almost expected and it would be odd if you didn't have to navigate the feelings of insecurity that go hand in hand with putting yourself out there, asking hard questions in front of large groups of people um, and having your own opinions at times. How have you gotten to this place where you do see the positive in what you get to do instead of harping on what can be the negative aspects. Yeah. I mean, I have been lucky for most of my career that I haven't had a lot of people say nasty things, but I do think they're always right there. You know, there are people, I had an incident last fall where I commented on Molly Seidel and uh, she was high-fiving her sister during the marathon and it came out, okay, I am a mom. I said behave because I say behave every day to my kids. But <laughs> what she did was she high-fived and I didn't know it was her sister, but it was right in Thunder Alley. And that's where most moves are made. And so I was just saying, oh my gosh, you should behave here now because this is the exciting time. She went up to high-five. Everyone gets super pumped there. We talk about it in every broadcast because that is the moment that is almost a game changer in most of the races in New York where the elite group breaks up because somebody gets excited and they go fast, you know, when they're, when the crowds are so loud or their energy just feels like they're on fire and they want to go hard there. And then things, you know, still have a long ways to run. Is this so, the mile 16 turn? Yeah. It's right, I've never yeah. heard it called thunder alley before. Mm -hmm. Huh? Okay. I keep going. Well, there's a bunch of different things, right? No, there's I love that. I love that. So we're referencing the mile 16 point right yeah. after you come off the Queensboro in the New York city marathon. Yeah. And it's loud for like two miles. It's so loud. I mean, I knew exactly what you were talking about without ever hearing that phrase before. Yeah. So after the race, there was all kinds of backlash for me. Well, they just said the commentator and I think they're just having fun with it, but that was really hard on me because Molly is, I, I like to call her a good friend of mine because I'm just, you know, I'm always around her and we, we chat and things. Um, and I've watched her run since she was little. She's from, you know, right around my area here in the Midwest in Wisconsin. I've seen her at Foot Locker, NCAAs. I love that girl. I would never say anything bad about her, but I said, she needs to behave here. Oh my gosh. I was excited. 
and I just got raped. Oh. And it was hard. And I still, I still kind of get like butterflies. Like her mom likes everything on my Facebook and on Instagram. <laughs> she and I like Molly is cool with it. She's on my podcast the next week. But knowing that people thought I was being mean killed me. So those are the hard times. But it it's a really exciting job. And I love it because I get to talk about a sport that I love so much. And I get to talk about the people that really I love so much, like in a different sense. But I love talking about the athletes. So there's definitely insecurities in my role. But I think my role is needed, whether it's my voice or someone else's. We need it. So I'm willing to put up with it. I love that. I love that. All right, Carrie, right now, if you had to identify one of your favorite pieces of running gear, what would it be? <gasps> running gear. Oh, well, I guess I'd have to say my shoes because that's okay, what, what, shoes, what shoes are we running in? Oh, I run in everything now. <laughs> I do. But I will tell you, you and I saw each other at the Adidas headquarters in Herzegenauch, Germany. You say it, the, you say all of that so eloquently. <laughs> I yeah. With the little <laughs> at the end. Um, but so the three stripes for me have been family, you know, they have supported me for years, but I do get to run in a lot of different shoes now because I'm at different events and it's been good for me not to have a sponsor because I can wear the event sponsored, um, gear. So I'd have to say I'll go with three stripes any day. Um, but I wear all kinds of models and I think it's been good for my feet to be honest. To switch yeah. it up, I, I don't wear the same shoe more than two days in a row. I feel like I'm kind of the same way unless I'm traveling and I bring like one sneaker with me, which yeah. has been an acquired skill because I am known to travel with way too many pairs of sneakers at once. I know. They're so cute. <laughs> I mean, how okay. often do you actually throw a pair of shoes away though? I, I, throwing away is a strong term. I end up running through them to the point where they get thrown away unless it's like a carbon plated shoe mm -hmm. then that shoe like we'll get to a point where it's like they only have so many good miles in them to begin with uh otherwise I'm donating a lot of my like worn sneakers to goodwill which for me after a certain amount of miles it might be like okay like the shoe isn't as good as it could be yeah. but it's great for someone who may not be using it or pounding it into the pavement as much as I would be that's so good of you yeah I mean I kind of wear my shoes out like I'm, do you ever wash your shoes? I wash my shoes. Oh yeah. I wash them. Okay. I, I like throw them in the washing machine and air dry the, yeah. the comment, the DM is going to come in. You air dry them and you put newspaper in them, which yep. these days harder to find newspaper than it used to be. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I don't like necessarily buy a newspaper. Put... I make myself read some of it as a dedicated journalist before I just like crumble it up and put it into the shoe to air dry. But yeah, I just put them like two yeah. to three pairs max in the washer on a spin cycle. Yeah, me too. I like a white or clean pair of shoes. So yeah, I will, I will wear my shoes for a long time, even after they're sort of not good for the run anymore, but my house is sort of exploding with shoes. Exploding with shoes. Okay. So we like a three stripe sneaker. And then yeah. are you, this is ironic to ask you because of what you do, a podcast listener or a music listener. And if you go the music route, can you give us a track from your running playlist? So I don't listen to a lot of things when I run, which is crazy because I'm a podcaster. <laughs> but <laughs> I like to be outside. I love to hear the birds. I'm a little scared on the run, to be honest. If I'm running by myself, I'm always running mm -hmm. a little scared, which is sort of sad. But 
I've had enough incidents in life that I just, I want to be aware. So that being said, if I'm around the house, like cleaning or cooking or whatever, I like to put on a good podcast. The Hurdle is one of them. I like to listen to Allie on the Run. I'm good friends with you two. Um, Rambling Runner, Another Mother Runner, all these fun ones. I'm not really one to listen to like a murder. I'd rather sit down and watch that. But uh, if I can go dancing, girl, I won't get off the dance floor. I love a little Bruno Mars. I love 80s big <laughs> hair bands. Um, Justin Timberlake. Uh, I don't know. I love it all. So I'm not one to love run with things in my ears, but I am one to listen when I'm at home or on the dance floor. Yeah. I feel like the sentiment of I always run a little scared is like a whole other podcast. We won't get into it now, but yeah. I do think that at least it's important and valuable that you have a sense of awareness about where you're at and what you're doing. If you're heading out alone at any time of day, I feel like exactly. that's like a necessary disclaimer here. It is for sure. I mean, I, I run with a lot of friends and that's my fun time. You know, I travel most weekends for work and then I'm at kids events when I'm not traveling. And so for me to call up a friend and say, Hey, can we go at five 30 in the morning? And usually I'll find somebody. Um, but if I'm alone, you know, I just make sure everyone knows where I'm at and when I'll be back and things like that. So all's good. I just, I do run all's a little good. scared. All's good. Okay. Final question for you here. Carrie, right now you have the opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice when you think back to navigating the insecurities that came hand in hand with getting back to running, looking at running a little bit differently after having your kids. What do you tell yourself now with what you know, looking back on that time? I think don't be as scared of it. You know, I was scared of what life was going to give me. Um, because I was going to change my body and I was going to, you know, have this, I don't know, what do you say? Like I was housing this baby for all these months and I was nervous of all of that. And it was lovely. It was awesome. And not everyone wants to have children or, you know, sadly can't have children, but the journey to motherhood for me was amazing. And there were some hard times. I lost a baby in between Everett and Greer, which is heart-wrenching to talk about. And it was super hard for me, but I wouldn't change that either. I don't think like, I just learned so much about me. So yeah, the ups and downs, the hurdles we face in life, you know, I think it's just how you kind of react to them, remember them, live through them and hopefully be better tomorrow than you were today. I mean, that's really what I always think about. I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. And I don't want people to be scared of what tomorrow is. I have been scared at times, but it always works out. You always figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. And if, if you are a little bit nervous, you call up Emily and say, Hey, <laughs> can you just, just talk to me for a little bit? Because you always bring the positivity. And that's the thing. I just want to keep finding friends and people in my corner that lift me up. I don't ever yeah. want to be around people that don't. And I think of that, and I, I was going to say this before, but that idea of like, you're the sum of the people that you keep closest to you when you are navigating insecurity in any capacity, that's always like a really important audit to do. Like, who are you surrounding yourself with and are they helping you get through whatever hurdle it is that you're going through in that moment? And that's why at times, like there are relationships that come for a season yeah. and that's okay. That's part of life. Exactly. Or even 
there's times when you can be with people like that, but you have to know when enough is enough. I have these conversations all the time now, Emily, because I am a mother of a 12 year old girl. <laughs> and you know, those, those years are hard. Those junior high years are hard, especially for girls, I think. And so we're having these conversations about, you know, you can be friends with everybody. And I want her to be that girl that's friends with everybody, but I think I'm seeing myself in her and, you know, just making sure she wants to be kind, even if people aren't kind back. And I think there's a time and place for that. You have to save space for people that need you as well. I love that sentiment. Carrie, I'm so grateful that we were able to make this happen. If they don't follow along with you just yet, how do hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Give us all of your details. Yes. Well, I am not nearly as good as you are on social media, but you can find me on Instagram at Carrie Tollefson or see Tolly Run is my podcast. And we have a new episode every Thursday. We love sharing people's journey of getting after life. And so, yeah, you can find me there or you can find me hopefully at a lot of the, the major marathons or some of the track events, road races. I do a lot of broadcast work there and, and I just enjoy the sport so much. I enjoy whether you are in front of the pack, in back of the pack, in the middle, it doesn't matter. We all have our own journey of putting one foot in front of the other. And I just would love to meet you all. So come follow me. I'll follow you back. <laughs> I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.